Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it! This is Top Flight Time Machine. I am Andy Hotbody Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. I am Sam Nifty Delaney. So what? Welcome along to the Friday morning episode. Uh, you just commented on the T-shirt that I'm wearing. So, well, actually, I showed mm. it off to you because it's got a couple of paint stains on because I've been doing yeah, a bit well, of Yeah, well, you probably had to tell me that so I didn't think it was either cocaine or spunk or a heady combo of the two. A heady which is combo, indeed. far from yeah. unusual on, on some gentlemen's T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> when they've had a right good old cocaine and wanking session <laughs> on a friday morning at 9 30 a.m love it start the weekend mm. early no i've been doing a bit of decorating so i'm a bit painty but um you were asking about the t-shirt itself which it says on the t-shirt song of norway and you mm. asked what it was and i said it's a t-shirt that david bowie wore in his video for where are we now which i think was 2012 but it refers to a film from 1970 maybe which um one of the one it was starred his then girlfriend who was a dancer i think ballet dancer maybe and mm. she'd gone off to make this film and as a result of that it, it uh their relationship kind of fell apart distance all that kind of thing um but it, it said that he always regarded her as the one that got away and she oh. was kind of like a, a, it was a really strong relationship they had and he, he always kind of mourned the fact that they split up so fucking 30 what 1970 42 years later he wears this t-shirt in his video with and, the film and by title this stage he's been married for some years to him well, yeah right and I'm just thinking if you're if you're a married man and you are going and you're one the world's famous pop singer mm. and you are wearing a t-shirt with a coded message on it to a girl who you loved many years ago and basically you're admitting you still hold a candle for her. yeah how's it might like she's like where was she from anyway before i do an impression of iman i'm not sure how she I- talks iman. darling uh, i imagine her talking like that because that's yeah, how models talk they've lived in new york for a long time haven't they yeah. David what's that t-shirt you're wearing in the pop video for what was the song <laughs> where are we it? now for where are we now that I just saw on MTV she talks like Grossman then what, it, what the hell does MS Song of Norway refer to oh yeah well I was wondering if you'd ask me that um, it's 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 to do with um, a girl, a ballerina, who I was in love with many years ago. So very much. She's the one who got away. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what do you mean, the one who got away? She's a woman who I loved, who I felt I could have spent my life with. But it didn't work out because she went to be in a film about Norway. And I fucking wound up with you, you old trout. <laughs> and not a day goes by 
without me thinking about it. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's so, the story behind the T-shirt. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know where Amon is from. Sorry. Um, she was in a um, Michael Jackson video, wasn't she? Was it Remember the Time? Eddie Murphy was in it as well. They played a king and a queen. I think Jack, fucking Jackson great video, was, mate. Jack, I fucking Jackson love there. that video. I watch that sometimes on YouTube. It goes on for... It was one of those ones mm. where he just sort of basically wanted to make a film. Yeah, they turned it into a movie. I think it was, it was probably premiered on top of the pops and took up a third of the entire show because it was so fucking long. Back when everyone yeah. was enthralled to Michael Jackson. Yeah, um, I mean, it is great, though. It's fucking great, mate. Yeah. Um, you, I'll be watching it later, probably. I might even write it up on our, uh, for our Turbo it, I subscribers. Thought had, I thought we had an unofficial rule not to speak about the post-thriller, the non-sera. I thought we decided oh, the post-thriller yeah, was Yeah, I find that quite off. difficult because there's some songs and videos from the post-thriller era that, oh, plus, I really love the album Bad. I think it's great. I mean, it's not as good as Thriller or Off right. the Wall, but I still like it. And also, you know, fucking hell. Some of, I've got to say, I, here are some Michael Jackson songs post-Thriller that I unashamedly fucking love. All right. One, in the episode, we're going to do Gary Glitter. Go, go, sorry, continue. One, Man in the Mirror. Two, Stranger in My Scale. Three, Earth Song. <laughs> Four, four, and this is a great video as well. Scream with Janet, and in a uh, in in the in a reflection of the insane golden age of journalism that I once operated in. Mm. I once was flown to New York by the Guardian to interview Mark Romanek, director of the Scream video, just about making that video. Took about fucking forty minutes. I mean, New York. To New York, yeah. No, to be fair, it was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of video directors all talking about their most famous video, mm. and I and a few of them were in New York. So, like while I was there, I also spoke to Anton Corban about Ooh. making. Can't remember what video I was speaking to him about, but that was when I bumped into Seal in a lift. When I was with Anton Corban, I told you this, and we go in the lift, and yeah. Seal gets it. It's in a hotel. Aye. And he goes, and I've just been with Anton Corbin like for most of the day chatting. We're getting on all right, as well as you can get on with Anton Corbin. He's quite a kind of a, a weird Dutch bloke, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Didn't Seal he do gets in. Depeche Mode videos, or am I yeah, he was mainly Depeche Mode, uh, but also U2. Aye, and right, I, yeah, I think it was a U2 video that I was speaking to him about, but I can't. And he did that, that Joy Division. No, atmosphere I see what it was. Well. I know what it was. It was Johnny Cash doing Hurt. Hurt. I think yeah, he did right. that. I think that's what I was interviewing him about. But his most famous stuff was photographing. And I, yeah, Joy Division, right? Is that what you just said? He did, he did the atmosphere when, the, when they reissued that in the years. Yeah. He did a bit of Joy Division. Then he did a lot of Depeche Mode. And then he did YouTube. But he also did Johnny Cash. But anyway, I've been sort of hanging around with him. He's, you know, an inscrutable Dutchman. Very artistic. Mm. Um... Probably he was just like, I mean, you know, you've got a feel for the cunt. He's like a genius and he had to spend fucking most of the day with me fucking going on in his ear. Right? <laughs> He's like, hey, man, I thought you were here to interview me, but you're kind of interviewing yourself here. This is a pointless waste of everyone's time and money. <laughs> I just I just like the pesh mode. I like to talk about their songs. 
Yeah, Al, let's talk about you too. What's the edge like? Seems like a bit of a twat to me. Mind you, he knows what duvets are tired, doesn't he, mate? Anyway, do you want a sausage? What? Come on, let's go for a sausage. I'm on expenses. What's the two boring <laughs> ones like out of you two? Are they all right, really? <laughs> Yeah, do you remember when one of them got his knob out on one of the record covers? That was good, wasn't it? Did you see his knob? Did you take that photo of his knob? What other pop star knobs have you seen? Have you ever met Simon Le Bon? Do you remember that time he nearly drowned? That was scary, wasn't it? <laughs> I was basically being interviewed by Sam Delaney. <laughs> but, but, so he's been having to put up with that all day, but we're getting on all right. So it's in, when we get in the fucking lift at the hotel and Seal gets in, Seal gets in. I've more oh. or less nudged fucking Anton Corbin because by this stage I think he's my mate in the oh. ribs and giving it, look, it's fucking Seal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but while the words are still like halfway out, I've gone, look, it's it, like really loud. Oh. Anton Corbin has just ignored me and gone, oh, Seal, hi, how's it going? <laughs> And Seal went really casually. Oh, hi, Anton. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, fucking hell, then, mate. That was Trevor. <laughs> and then he introduced me and said, oh, Seal, this is Sham. He's over from uh, from London to interview me. And he goes, oh, hi, man. Hi, hi. And we had, like, a small talk conversation. And Anton called me and said, hey, I owe you dinner. Thanks a lot. We forgot about dinner. Um you must come over to our place sometime soon. And, and Seal went, oh, yeah, great, thanks. And he got out the lift. And I went, yeah, what's all that about? I owe him dinner. And he, went, and he went, oh, yeah, him and Heidi Klum. Him and Heidi, his wife, had us over for dinner. And uh, I got to tell you, Seal cooked, but the spaghetti was like raw. And I said, what, <laughs> do they like a bit undercooked? They call it al dente in Italian, I think. He goes, no, it was like he just put raw spaghetti with sauce. <laughs> Well, Seal doesn't fucking know how to cook, does he? He's got his mind on bigger things. Look at him. He's he's above the fucking humdrum world of cookery. Exactly. Seal became a pop star quite young, I guess. He was he was he sang on Adamski's Killer, and then he had a solo career quite early on. You know, taught about cook spaghetti. Him and him and Heidi Klum should have hide in a fucking cook but they were probably trying to be a bit like homely and like hey we're just normal yeah. guys come round we're just normal people let's just invite the legendary Dutch photographer and pop promo director Anton Corban round for some spaghetti and sauce yeah hey uh, we're going to make our own sauce or are we going to get a like a Lloyd Grossman <laughs> or a Dolmio <laughs> get some Dolmio apparently that's good Shall I get the spicy one or plain? Just get plain because Anton's Dutch. I don't. Uh, they have pretty plain tastes over there. We'll get uh, we'll get some uh, Heinz ketchup, or we can get some <laughs> HP sauce or Daddy's and put them in cups, and he can dip his spaghetti in it before he crunches on it. <laughs> yeah, it's more like I think they call that crudite. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right, this is an amazing coincidence, right? Let's. Right. Uh, we'll drop the Michael Jackson thing so I can see you're uncomfortable with that, right? All okay. I'm saying is the video for Scream is great, right? Um, and it's quite a good song. It's actually but, covered in that Janet Jackson video I was talking about. Not the video, yeah. the documentary that's on. And it wasn't mm. a good time for her. She was trying no. to um, kind of... Um, rebuild their relationship because they'd kind of drifted apart but then he insisted on them most of it was filmed separately and she wasn't allowed to see the bit of the studio that he was in 
And it was mad. She's not allowed to look. Hi, Janet, yeah. I love I, you. I whispered that through a wall, a plasterboard wall that I had built especially because I did not want her to set eyes upon me because I am so grotesque it might upset her. The wall was not adjacent to where Janet was, but I thought that the wall would take the message and, and travel it on through the spirit world to her ears. Maybe it did. <laughs> it's I my don't spirit know. wall, Chamon. <laughs> <laughs> No, listen, right. I was going to build up to this, but it feels like too much of an opportune moment to dismiss. All right. We're talking about encounters with famous pop stars in New York. Mm -hmm. Now, last night I heard a great story about an encounter with a pop star in New York. Mm -hmm. But let me rewind and tell you where I was last night. I went to my local media hub, the one where I sometimes stalk Gary Lineker. Yeah. Uh, who have, it's also a cinema. And I think I mentioned a while back, I'd bought tickets to see a screening of the Get Back Rooftop concert, yeah. followed by a Q&A with Glyn Johns, Glyn the Jones. fucking legendary Lovely producer yeah. who was it obviously a, became a real breakout star when Get Back came out last yeah. year, mainly because of his wonderful wardrobe. So it was great, right? Me and, me and my good wife went along last night and we watched the Get Back concert, which is obviously fantastic. We talked about that a lot. And then Glyn Johns comes on stage with a guy called Chris Kimsey, who is also um, a record producer of Note. Right. And they're old friends, right? And he does an interview, and then they throw questions out to the audience. Um, the Most of the audience were very weird, kind of pompous anorak men who Beatles were literally nerds. saying things like, I'm interested in the eight track you used. What, <laughs> which track did you apply to which instrument and why? Right? <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Here's my favourite question of the night from some posh woman, right? I would like to know, what do you think? John, what sort of music John Lennon would have produced had he lived? <laughs> and he just went, What? She went, <laughs> Glyn Johns is amazing, right? Because Glyn know. Johns is now just like the man that we that certainly I want to be when I get to his age. I guess mm. he's like in his seventies, late seventies. He's laconic. He is like he could have so easily. So many people could be drawn in to like bigging themselves up in a situation like that, right? Because mm. the whole fucking room's full of like anoraks enthusiasts. People like me were just starry-eyed about being in his presence because I fell in love with him watching Get Back, right? (laughs) Plus, Glyn Johns, aside from doing that album with the Beatles, you know, he was the Rolling Stones producer and engineer throughout, you know, their sort of 60s heyday. Yeah. Um, And he did Led Zeppelin and The Who and fucking everyone, right? So he's a big deal. And... Everyone's asking him these sort of fawning questions and or like, you know, asking him for, for insights like that one. What John? And he's just got this sort of attitude about him that I don't fuck. His whole attitude was this, Andy. You'd have loved him. He's like, oh, I don't fucking know. Next question. <laughs> like literally, like yeah. he was just like, but he didn't make you feel a cunt for asking the question. Yeah, yeah. But he did make it clear that he thought that the fact that he was being asked a question like that was just preposterous, right? What sort he was of like, music I don't, would John Lennon have made? Ah, oh, for versus courses. He went, he went, what did you that say? Kind of and she went, 
if John Lennon had not been shot, what sort of music do you think he'd be making today? And he, she went, he went, yeah. Well, obviously, I have no means of answering that question. <laughs> and he just sort of smiled, and I like pissed myself laughing. <laughs> and it was all stuff like that. And one of them can I just ask? Uh, can I just no? He was this guy was a bit more. Can I ask you if you were both? This is a question for both of you. If you had the choice of working with either Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, or Elvis Presley and producing one of their tracks, which artist would it be and which track would you choose? Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. And Glyn Johns just looked like, are you fucking mental? Right. And he went, what? And he went, wait. And he repeated the question again. He went, "Uh, I I don't know. And they went, well, come on, try one of them. And he went, well, he said, I'll tell you this much. Oh, the middle one. <laughs> he went, Chuck Berry's a massive arsehole, so not him. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all stuff like that. And they kept asking about the rooftop concert, right? And he goes, he kept going, I was in the basement. I was in the basement. They were on the roof. Mm. You keep asking me about what the policeman was like. You keep asking me about how cold it was. <laughs> I was in the basement. The film, you cunts. It was like, I was in the basement. And he said it politely the first time, but then people were just idiotic, said, come with their question. Here's my question, and I shall ask it. Right? <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> On the roof, did you think the sound was good? Right? And he's gone, I was in the basement. Next question. It was really like, I kept laughing, thinking, because it was more or less like, next fucking question. And it came to a head when he goes, they go, <laughs> once you decided to do it on the roof, it all went smoothly in the end, but... This woman actually used this word. With the notoriously <laughs> unpredictable British weather, she actually <laughs> snickered to herself. She said that as if it was a fucking amazing satirical like observation that she'd made, right? <laughs> the notoriously unpredictable British weather. What would have happened? What would have happened had it rained on the day? And he literally, at this point, you can think, I just want to, he's thinking, I just want to go home. And he just goes, they'd have got wet. Next. <laughs> <laughs> were there any were there any contingency plans in the event of one or more of the Beatles being scooped away by a golden eagle? <laughs> now, next question. I'm not joking, mate. That was the sort of thing they were asking. <laughs> and I felt bad for him. I felt bad for him because I sort of felt you know, I I mean, I felt bad for him for lots of reasons, mainly because the poor cunt was locked in a room with a bunch of silly cunts, right? But he goes, um, it was more like he, this guy in his own right, quite aside from the Beatles, is a legendary record producer. He's worked with the lot, right? He's, yeah. he's produced some of the most famous fucking songs and albums of all time. And he worked mostly in my media hub because it used to be Olympic Studios which is one of the most famous recording studios in the world oh yeah of course right right that's what now it's my media hub is that it got converted basically right into a sort of cinema restaurant kind of a thing now you're going to get podcast fans gathering outside like the Apple Scruffs used to hang outside Apple HQ let let them fucking come let them come let them fucking come Get away, yeah, see, TTFN cunts, they'll see me fucking whizzing off on my best map. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Fuck you. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> right. 
So he, and so we were in the room where he'd produced so many of these famous Stones and and Led Zeppelin and Who albums, right? So I thought, poor cunt, he's got he's an incredible bloke, and we've all got an opportunity to speak to him here about his wondrous career and how he got into music and blah blah blah. Mm. But all people are saying is, <laughs> I noticed John Lennon's shoes. One was tied up and one was untied. What do you believe the significance was of that? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. he's just like fuck. Anyway, um, so the story that a couple of standout stories. One was. Um, it was actually my question that I had lined up. I had a question that I'd oh, got armed with. Right. I have a question, but I didn't get to ask it because Chris Kimsey was interviewing, sort of got him to answer it already. And it was like... Oh, so you're just you're was... humble bragging there that your question was on a journalistic level similar to the, the man who was no, hosting Chris, the event. But, no, your uh, question it's actually better. I'm bragging on, I'm, I, on behalf the of Chris Kimsey. Questions. It's a compliment to him because you have to remember, Chris Kimsey is not a journalist. He is a record producer. Okay. He has no experience. So what I'm saying is, Chris, if you're listening, well, well done, done for Chris. coming up with the same question that I, Sam Delaney, had <laughs> come armed with. <laughs> Although you didn't ask the question, you just asked him, you were chatting to him and the, yeah. the answer to my question emerged organically. Right. So don't get too fucking clever. Well, sometimes right? that's better if they just eke it out in conversation though, isn't it? Yeah, much better, yeah. Jalapeño. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you wouldn't be hearing this brief but annoying message if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your tits. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Jalapeño. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Jalapeño. So he goes, um, yeah, George Martin. He said, what was George Martin's role? And he went, listen, George Martin was not required for get back. That was the simple um, situation. He went, I got a call from Paul McCartney after I'd finished Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus saying, "Would you? We, we're doing this new live show that we're going to release as an album. Will you come and work on it? And I said, great, because I'd always wanted to work with the Beatles. He went, so I turned up, he went, and George Martin just wasn't there. And and I said, where's George? And they said, oh, no, George isn't working on this. We don't, we've decided we don't need him for this. 
But then George started swinging by most days, yeah, yeah. right? Turns up, doesn't it? And, and he goes, and it became clear that he sort of saw himself more as the sort of A&R man. And there is a bit it, when Billy Preston arrives that I noticed John Lennon goes, oh, Billy, this is George, our A&R man from the record company. And I thought, it's weird. I thought he was their fucking producer. But that's basically what he'd become. But he couldn't stop coming down. Very much like the way Shankly kept going back to the training ground. I was going to say, it's ground. a bit like Alex Ferguson at Manchester United at the minute. He's still picking the manager yeah. and all that, isn't he? Well, Shankly used to go down, didn't he? To, yeah, yeah. I uh, can't remember what Liverpool's ground was called, the training ground. How can you forget that? It's the most iconic training ground in football history. <laughs> Can we just touch upon Sorry, Roy Keane at this point? And Ian Wright yeah. the other night, did you see the thing about Ian Wright touching the This Is Anfield sign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Roy Keane's going, what do you want to touch that for? What do you do that for? That's childish. <laughs> point. It's childish. He also started talking about Mr Ticket on the same appearance, didn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd mm. be worried about the tickets. If I was getting that close to the final, I'd start to get twitchy about the tickets. Oh, believe me, everyone would be on the phone. <laughs> Absolutely okay. incredible. He must listen. He must have listened to our keen odyssey. It's the oh, only explanation. I don't want to know. I don't want to know either way. But um, I'd read that George Martin by this point was fucking sick of them. And right. Well, maybe that's the case. So it was kind of maybe a mutual decision that he wasn't involved in that. Yeah. Plus, as well, it wasn't. Right. A, it wasn't a conventional, conventional. Let's go to the studio and make an album. It was a different nah. sort of vibe, wasn't it? He said it was. He, he did say it was very awkward when yeah. George started turning up because he felt because he liked him and respected him, and he felt awful yeah. for like being there effectively on his turf. But he'd sort of turned up thinking, "I think I'm the engineer." But then after like a couple of days, they were struggling with a song. I can't remember what one, and Paul and John were struggling on how to begin it, and then suddenly Paul turned around to Glenn and went. Look, how, what should we do with the intro to this? And he went, and when he when they ask you that, that means you're producing. Yeah. When they ask you specific things as opposed to turn up the fucking bass. switch things on, yeah. They're asking you arrangement ideas. And then I thought, oh, fuck, I'm the producer. This is awkward. Anyway, that was quite interesting. But the best story was this. He goes, after they were asking him loads about John Lennon, and he went, look, to be honest, he went, to be honest, John Lennon, I mean... He was nice back then, but then he went, look, to be honest, he went a bit mad after the Beatles split up. I don't know why, but he did go mad. He went, and, I, you know, you saw we had, we all got on fine when we were making Get Back. I didn't know them well, but they were really nice to me. He goes, and then a couple of years later, he gave an interview in The Telegraph where he absolutely eviscerated me on a personal level, right? And I hadn't yeah. seen him in a few years. Because they asked him about the recording and get back, and he kind of made it all about me basically being a cunt, right? He went, and I was really hurt by it, and I didn't <clears throat> understand why. He goes, but I tried to put it behind me. He went, but then in the mid 70s, he goes, I was round at Ronnie Wood's house, and yeah. I'm like, now I'm like, right, now, at last, motherfucker, we're getting to the somewhere. good stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> and he goes, well, I was at Ronnie's house. Um, I'd finished working with the Stones because I'd gone on to other projects, but I was still mates with them. So I was at Ronnie Wood's house. We were just watching telly, having a drink, right? <laughs> Do you want to come round and watch telly and have a drink? Yeah, all right. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh no, that was it. He goes, because I was, he goes, what it was was I was, Ronnie Wood was still in the faces. He goes, I was producing the faces. So straight away I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is good. This yeah. is, this is what I paid my money for. He goes, and uh, so I was around there. He goes, and uh, it's the way he talks. So he talks in this very, like, 
he doesn't sound like an old record producer telling theatrical stories. He kind of talks normally. He's got a bit of a London accent. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and then he goes in a Mick Jagger walked in. And he went, oh, hello. Um, he went, oh, hi, Glenn. I'm glad I bumped into you. We oh, owe oh, one last... Oh, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Why are you doing that with Ronnie? <laughs> All right. And he goes, oh, I'm just watching the telly and having a drink. What? He goes, he goes oh, I'm glad I bumped into you. He went. Who, who was the who was the the manager who then nicked the Beatles as well? The horrible guy, Alan Klein. Dick Klein. Alan mm. Klein goes. We owe Alan Klein one more album. We're contractually obliged, and <laughs> we've got to deliver him. We got to deliver him something, or we're we not going to. He's going to take us to court. He we're goes. Take oh, our I've got kids. this. Uh, we're going to take a load of. We're going to take a load of off cuts from old albums that we didn't use. The shit stuff. That's what he said, right? He goes, and we're just going to... He goes, we're going to remaster it and put it in an album and send it to Alan Kahn and go, release that. <laughs> release that, cunt, right? <laughs> and, he, and so he goes, so I said, oh, all right, what are you telling me for? He's really funny. He talks like that. So I'm like, all the way through, this bloke, Glyn Johns talks like someone from Top Flight Time Machine. She's literally like, yeah, all right, whatever, mate. What are you telling me for? And he goes... Ah, do you want to do you want to go to New York now and spend a couple of days doing it? I've got all the clips lined up. So I went, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. So we went straight off from Ronnie's house and we flew to New York. Yes. Right? I'm thinking, what the fuck? He goes, so we got to New York. He goes, and we started putting together, and he was right. It was a complete piece of shit. He goes, we stuck <laughs> out. Fuck it. We started putting it together. For me, it was a couple of days in New York getting paid. Right, I'm like fucking Glyn Johns, you legend, right? He goes, and then that evening, Mick goes, "Oh, what are you doing tonight?" And I go, "Nothing. Probably just going out, go back to my hotel, have a bit of dinner." And he goes, "I'm going around John Lennon's. Do you want to come?" And he went, "No, I do not want to come. I do not like John Lennon." Right? And he goes, "Oh, don't be like that. <laughs> Seriously, right? Don't be like that. John's all right." Right, and he goes, no, he he stitched me up. I don't know what his problem is, but he stitched me up and he slagged me off in the paper, and I just don't like him. And he goes, oh no, I don't. He's changed a lot. He went through some tough times, but he's better now. Go on, come, please. So in the end, he goes, he talked me around. I said, all right, fuck it, I'll come. <laughs> so he goes, so we got a taxi round to John Lennon's that night, right? Again, I'm thinking to do what? Were they having raw spaghetti, like a with Heidi Plum and Seal? <laughs> Um, apparently, do you know what they were going around there for? Yoko was off the scene. He was with that other bird who he took up with. Mir Pang. Yeah. He goes, what's her name again? Mir Pang. Mir Pang. He goes, he, it's the way he took He goes, yeah, he wasn't living with, living with Yoko Ono anymore. He went, which, to be honest, was a relief to me because I never <laughs> liked her. He went, she, he, he was living with someone called May Pang. <laughs> <laughs> And all the Beatles anoraks in the audience are like, oh, yeah, my pump, yeah. Right, and he goes, and I thought, well, do you know what they went around there to do? Watch telly. Brilliant. I mean, maybe that's what happened in the 70s. Maybe telly was still that much of a novelty where it's like John Lennon and Mick Jagger are getting together to watch TV. But in Get Back, they do that. They talk about what they'd watched on BBC Two the night before, didn't they? They'd gone home and watched <laughs> telly. Because, <laughs> you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah, I've, I've got, I've got a, I've got a great telly. Come, come round, come, come round, hey Mick, 
Have you got one of them tellies? I fucking have. I've got a telly. Come round. I've got a telly. It's like Space Age, like, like Roy Rice has got. Hey, Roy of the have you ever seen American telly? It's fucking insane. <laughs> it's fucking 57 channels. <laughs> Come over. Come over tonight. Right. And so, okay, so we, we went round, he went, and as we walked in, Mick turned to me and went, now, you behave yourself tonight. Uh, you know, don't don't start anything funny. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. He goes, if you get me round John Lennon's house, I'll end up poking him in the eye. That's what he said to me and Jack. No, don't be like that. Don't don't start get, anything funny. I'll get all salty. Yeah. So he goes, so we go, he goes, he goes, it was fine. We went round. We watched a bit of telly and had a drink. I'm thinking, amazing. What a night. Right? Bottles of light ill. John, Mick, Glyn, and May Pang. <laughs> right. So, and then he just goes, he goes, it's all right. And then at the end, me and Mick said, right, we're going now. We're getting a taxi back to the hotel. We <laughs> oh, thanks for the night. But that telly program's over now. I don't want to. What's on now? What? Well, it's a street. It's a San Francisco. What? Oh, no, we've missed that. Oh, I'm going home. <laughs> What's on now? The news. How long's that on for? An hour? No, I'll be tired by the end of that. I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes, as he's going, I couldn't resist it. And he went, uh, and John went, bye, Glenn. Nice to see you. And he went, no, uh, hang on. I've got, uh, no, I have got to say something. Before I go, and Mick's like, "Oh no, don't, Glenn. We made a lovely evening watching telly. <laughs> oh, oh bloody hell! Glenn. <laughs> oh, it's going to be aggro now." <laughs> and he goes, "No, what?" He went, "John, I've got to ask you before I go. What was all that shit in the Telegraph about a couple of years back about me?" And he goes, "He didn't apologise. He just went, yeah, um, I was pretty ill, uh, and I was going through a very bad phase.'" Um, you should speak to Paul about that. He'll explain everything. What? <laughs> what? He basically said what he meant was was that him and Paul had had it out over all the bad things he'd been saying about Paul. And he'd told Paul I went mad. He was into primal screen therapy and, yes, just some mad. He, he went pretty deep into himself and came out the other end mental. And he'd gone, he'd, he'd got back together with Paul and said, listen, you got to understand, I was, all that, those times I was saying bad things about your writing bad shit, he went, it was because I was, I was mad. And Paul obviously forgave him. Mm. I was like, hey, that's all right, man. We all Double have bad times, no one again. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm, I've got a song coming on. I'm going to write it. We all have bad times, <laughs> even my pal John. <laughs> So Lennon um, said to Glenn, yeah, I've, I've given all, all the information to Paul. He knows everything. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah, it that again. Yeah, it. And, and Glenn remained pissed up. He went, it was really annoying because he didn't actually apologise. He basically mm. said, Paul's forgiven me, so speak to him and he'll explain why you should forgive me too. In the, in the, in the common vernacular, it's like, I'm sorry that you were upset. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly that. So he was a bit fucked off with Lennon. Right, I... I Keen not to take up the whole episode of Glyn Johns, but at there the same have. time, it's fine. Glyn Johns, right. The last good bit to report about the show, or the last highlight, because I can't, is him going, is, is it, it, all these questions are going on. I asked one question, but it wasn't that good. It, you know, it got a very short shrift answer. 
I what, went, what was very the kind ca- of audience number? I'm trying to get a visualisation of it. How many people it did, They didn't fill the room, actually. It didn't Jesus. fill the cinema. It's a pretty large screening room. It didn't. It wasn't filled. I reckon there was about, I don't know, like, yeah, maybe like 100, 100 150, right. something like that. Okay. Maybe. Okay. And uh, maybe less, actually. I don't know. But I went, put it this way, it's a similar size to what, top flight time machine might play on a live show and I think we would have shifted more tickets which is a sad (laughs) reflection on the society we live in today it is isn't it (laughs) really sad and we wouldn't have been as good either oh no way I mean this was much better than any show we could do I mean you saw the rooftop you saw the Beatles doing a rooftop concert and then the cunt who produced it telling you loads of rock and roll anecdotes afterwards (laughs) I asked the question it was, I said they were really nice. Is that was that is that particularly unusual? Because everyone's looking at it, thinking this is must be unusual. People that famous, rock stars that famous, to be so like meticulously courteous to everyone. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah. I mean, I work with all sorts of rock stars. Some are bastards, some aren't. He went, but I mean, what do you expect from the Beatles? They wore suits for God's sake. We knew they were going to be nice. <laughs> Next <laughs> question, dickhead. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> all right, it was That's like a that. Great line. Um. So he went, then someone put their hand up quite a few rows down, wearing a baseball cap, right? And he went, did you feel emotional? He was a really distinctive voice. Did you feel emotional watching that? And he went, yeah, a lot of people said they felt emotional, but I don't know why. He goes, to me, it's just like watching back a bit of my life. He goes, nice memories, but he goes, I am fascinated that so many people have said to me that they feel emotional watching it because I'm not quite sure why. And then the question, the guy who asked the question said, it's because it's our lives. And the 60s, for, ge- for our generation, who had the 60s was so such a significant part of our lives. And you just see it and it brings it all back so vividly and you just cry. And I've watched it, the film a number of times and I've cried every time. And Glyn Johns, who's very scrupulously down to us, like, he's, he's just looking at him like, you mental cunt. Right? He's like, did you? He, he literally, did you? Like that. And he's going, yeah, yeah. He what, goes, yeah. What? This- did it make you sad? What, 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 what are you crying for? Did you, did someone stand on your foot? <laughs> right, when you was watching it. <laughs> I don't understand. Shut up, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Anyway, next question. <laughs> I specifically said no weirdos when I agreed to do this. <laughs> but listen, right, this guy goes, oh, no, yeah, I cried every time. He goes, in fact, even watching it tonight, and it's, uh, this is, I've seen it several times, now, I Sitting here watching it tonight, I cried again. Fucking and then Glyn John's really looking at him like, fuck it, oh, we got, yeah, security. We got a crybaby, yeah, right? So I thought, but I thought, oh, that's nice. You know, nice for a man to put his hand up and admit to every other man in the room. Most of them are just fucking weirdos. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's you know, we talk all the time, don't we, about nostalgia and the effect it can have on yeah, us yeah, emotionally, particularly with music. So I thought, you know, it's something that, that I could relate to. But I did think, mm, interesting man there. I'll keep an eye on him when we leave. So when we leave and it's all over, there's a little huddle around Glyn Johns on the stage, right? Right. And this man's there. But he's the... It, so I get right up close. I'm thinking, I want to fucking look at this geezer, Mr. Crybaby. He sounds like my sort of bloke, right? <laughs> um, but the bloke isn't, isn't waiting to see Glyn Johns. He's actually grumpily trying to get around this crowd so he can get out. Right. I lean in. 
the bloke looks round at me. He's wearing a sort of a navy baseball cap and a coat and a cardigan. Old guy. And I look at him and I think, he looks exactly like Logan Roy out of succession. That's <gasps> funny. And then I look again and it's fucking Brian Cox. It's Yay! Logan Roy out of succession, you cunt. And yeah. he's the one who was sat in the audience fucking crying all the way crying through it. Crying fucking and get back. Then stuck his hand up to say afterwards, hey, I've got a question and here it is. I just fucking cried during that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> no, that's not a question, but okay. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Great. And I went, to, I went to my wife, I went, fucking hell, that's Logan Roy. I said, and what's mad is he's dressed exactly like Logan Roy, which he was. <laughs> and he saw me looking at him and he gave me a, what's your fucking problem look? Exactly like Logan Roy. I mean, I half wanted to go, fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> and uh, I thought, this is amazing. And That's she said, great. yeah, I clocked him. She went, when I went to the loo earlier, when the lights first went up before Q&A, I fucking clocked him then. Mm. She went, so when he was doing all that, oh, I am... Um, I, I was crying, right? She went, I fucking knew when he was saying it. You didn't know. I was sat there thinking, that's fucking Logan Roy saying wow. that he cried during that. Oh, that's yeah. outstanding. And then he went downstairs with the woman he was with and they I went to the restaurant, sat down to have a bit of dinner because I obviously continued to stare all the spaghetti, way down the stairs and for a sauce. prolonged, uncomfortable amount of time. <laughs> raw spaghetti for his dinner. Come on. Let's go get some raw fucking spaghetti, then we can get home and I can fucking wipe my tears. <laughs> I can try to recover emotionally. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> what that's a night, eh? What a night. That's London for you. Doesn't yeah. happen up here. I'll tell you what, talking about Q&As and up here, I'm doing. I'm hosting a Q&A on Tuesday night for the, um, oh. the, the Brass Eye outtakes thing, Oxide Ghosts, which the director of oh, Brass Eye... Oh, I haven't heard of that. Director of Brass Eye, Michael Cumming, is uh, he's took on the road a few times, and it's it's loads of outtakes from Brass Eye, which will never be seen anywhere else, other than live on this one-hour video that he's put together. And I've done it a couple of times. He's been to Newcastle a couple of times, and there's a Q and A afterwards. And I will be hosting the Q and A on the stage of in the Newcastle. stand in Newcastle, where we played before. The stand. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> a lovely venue. Well, that's so, going to be good, isn't it? It will be so. Just a heads up about that. If anyone's local and they fancy going along to that, there's tickets still available. It's on Tuesday night at the stand in Newcastle. It's well worth watching. If you don't ruin it by turning up and asking, and then they go any questions and put your hand up and start asking Andy questions like, (laughs) "What's Bob Mortimer really like to work with?" (laughs) And you're like, "For fuck's sake, it's not. You're not here for me, you cunt." Do, do you realize? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I was in the basement. Next question. Do you realize I've listened to the keynote to see five times, and every time I've cried. <laughs> and you're like fucking hell, man. Is that Brian Cox? You need help. What's he doing? He was at Samsung the other night. Now he's up here. He gets about. And he, everything Q&A's. he goes to, he cries. He's got every Q and A in the country, lying about crying. <laughs> he's on some sort of PR offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's Tuesday night, but it's also touring the, the country. So have a look. I think it's Michael's website, michaelcumming.co.uk, uh, or just search Oxide Ghosts, um, and you'll find the dates. It's well worth having a look at. Uh, and as I said, it'll never, ever be released commercially. It'll only be 
shown in these uh, one-off things. So that's that. Um, do you want to do some footy predictions before we go? Yeah. All right, I'll rattle through these quickly then. Norwich versus Brentford. Uh, Norwich nil, Brentford one. Ooh, I think this will be 1-1. One, one. Uh, Manchester City versus Manchester United. Uh, I'll go first on that. I think this will be uh, fucking L two nil Manchester City. I'll say three one Manchester City. One Liverpool versus West Ham United. Ooh, one all. One all. I think Liverpool will win this one. Um, three one. Sorry. Uh, Charlton versus Sunderland. I'll go first on this. Charlton versus Sunderland. Um, fucking hell. Match match. We're going to win this one 2-1. Um, Sunderland versus... Is it, where is it? At, At Charlton. Charlton. Yeah. 1-0. Finally, Reading versus Millwall. Ugh. I hate Reading <laughs> as well. But I will say... Uh, I'll say 1-0 to that as well. Fuck it. 1-0 to that. I think it will be 1-0 to Millwall. That is it. That's the predictions. That's the episode. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.